Welcome to the Mercy Hill Church podcast. This podcast is a collection of sermons and conversations intended to stir up your affections for Jesus. We hope this content helps you know and tell the story of Jesus better. If you've got a Bible, uh, you can turn to Genesis chapter 1. Uh, we're going to look at a couple of verses in Genesis chapter 1. Uh, that's all the way at the beginning. Uh, and so uh, you could just go close to the beginning of your Bible. You're going to find it. Uh, you can obviously look at a print copy. If you brought your phone or tablet, you can pull that out and look at it as well. We're starting a new series today called Fragile Identities. We're going to spend three weeks talking about uh, this subject. And then after that, we're moving into a series uh, through Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, which I'm pretty excited about. So let's just go ahead and dive in today. Uh, one of the beauties of the internet is we have access to all sorts of things, information, people, and places, including mass-produced items in some other area of the world that we can get delivered to our house in two days from Amazon, right? Which is, in a, a lot of times, an amazing gift. Uh, what's interesting, though, in the middle of all of this mass production, uh, we've also kind of culturally carved out a little niche for crafting, making, designing, and things being... Ha- Handmade. This entire website, Etsy, which is completely des- dedicated to just you finding your handcrafted goods and services. It's a renaissance of uh, craft beer. And of course, in our television shows and what we watch, there are more and more shows showing us how people make stuff. Uh, from making it to craft wars to Christie's celebrity craft makers This one I didn't know about, the Great Pottery Throwdown. We got any big Great Pottery Throwdown fans here? Evidently, you didn't know about that one either. Uh, The Big Flower Fight, uh, favorite in our house, is uh, the Great British Baking Baking Show. Anybody big fans of that? All right. All right. Some broken broken kid right down front. Uh, Sugar Rush, you can watch on Netflix. Of course, there's the old school Project Runway, the new version of that, Making the Cut. And Chase, our pastoral resident, told me about this new show that I now have to watch called Face Off, which sounds incredible. It's like remaking people's faces. And so I got to check, check that one out. Haven't seen that one yet, uh, but he said it's pretty awesome. There is a dark underbelly to all of this crafting and making and designing, right? And that is that we have become, in some ways, crafters of our own identities. It's not enough for us anymore to receive an identity. It's not enough to be sons and daughters or fathers and mothers. But we more and more want to create the reality of who we are. That includes our sexual identities, our gender identities, our performances at work, which defines so much of who we are. We're constantly creating and curating what we post online the version of us online that we want everybody to see and be impressed with, we are creating in real time who we are. Why? Why is that the case? Well, Jen Oshman in her book, Cultural Counterfeits, says this, talking about the predominant narrative of our age. She says, it proclaims that you and I are the center of the universe. We are unique individuals and we can be awesome. We just need to create our identities by making the right choices with our wardrobes and weekends and by hanging out with the right people and doing the right things. We can be limitlessly happy. The world, she says, offers you and me an amazing life if we just go out and make it happen. There are books, online articles, TV shows galore crafted around helping us create our best lives right now in this moment. 
You can find any influencer on social media describing to you how you can have the happiness that you've always wanted if you just follow these steps or use this product. We have become then almost like museum curators who see all of the artwork that a museum has and have to decide what goes on to the floor in the showroom. Those are, that's our everyday lives. We're constantly editing ourselves, constantly figuring out what other people should or should not know about us. And you go, well, Brandon, what's wrong with that? Well, Josh Cohen, in an article that uh, he wrote uh, for NBC News, identifies what we all know, but we don't want to admit. Here's what he says. The message that we can work harder and be better at everything, even, he points out, rest and relaxation results in a strange composite of exhaustion and anxiety, a permanent state of dissatisfaction with who we are and what we have. And it leaves us feeling that we are servants rather than masters of our work. And not just our waged employment, but the unending work we put into achieving our so-called best selves. And the result has been culturally and personally for many of us, that this constant curating or crafting of our own identities has left us exhausted and burned out. That it's not a sustainable form of life. It turns out that being your own creator is not all that it seems. Creating or receiving or recreating yourself constantly comes at a cost. The cost of exhaustion, our decision-making cycle never stops running, and the end is really dehumanizing. We're not becoming more fully human. Instead, we're becoming more fully an unrealistic version of what it means to be human that we saw on Instagram. And each aspect of these self-created identities turns out to be incredibly fragile. We are all constantly hanging by a thread. When our identity is based in the relationship that we're in, if our boyfriend or girlfriend leaves us, then it's not just our relationship that's broken. It's something fundamental about us. If we get downsized at work, it's not just being out of a job. It becomes a part of who we are has been declared unneeded or unwanted. If sex leaves us unsatisfied or if our gender transition doesn't actually fix the heart of the issue or if success doesn't make us happy or if our kids don't lead up, live up to the dreams that we had for them, these fragile identities start to crumble. And we're left shattered and broken with a question like, who am I? I don't even know who I am. Uh, but there is an alternative. Uh, there is a more firm foundation for our identities or another way to answer the question who we are and why we exist. There is another story, not just the story or the narrative of our current age. And we find it in Genesis chapter 1, which begins very simply in verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The first line of the Bible introduces us to the main character of the story of the Bible. Just a helpful hint. Uh, it's not us. And, and I know some of us love reading the Bible like it's about us. But chapter 1, verse 1, we meet the main character. And the main character is God. And we meet this main character, God, who creates. And in Genesis chapter 1, this God who creates, creates a wonderful world full of beauty and majesty. He creates light and dark. 
earth and sea, sun and moon, uh, planets and animals of all sorts. And then he also creates people. He creates the first two people, Adam and Eve, a pair that go together. We could see this in verse 26 and 27. If you have a Bible, look at it. It says, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And then he repeats the idea again, verse 27. So God created man in his own image and in the image of God, he created them male and female, he created them. So Genesis chapter one is not just an origin story about the creation of the world, but Genesis chapter one is our origin story that we are created by God in his image. And it's a powerful concept. But what, what does it mean? What does it mean that we are created in the image of God? This idea of the image of God, this phrase is one of the most significant phrases in all of scripture. It means that not only all people, men and women, were created by God, but that people are unique from the rest of creation. That we as humans represent God in some way, his character and his goodness here on earth. Now, there's plain disagreements between Bible scholars, whoever you want to talk to, about what the particulars of that uniqueness is. Whether that's our ability to reason or our capacity to love or how we live in community with others, maybe it's more likely probably a combination of all of those things. But the image is packed with power that you and I are created already with an identity. We already belong. We are already something or someone. We don't have to create that on our own. We are people made in the very image of God. And that word image actually is most often used in the scripture to describe an idol. That's right. A piece of wood or stone that's been carved into the image of a supposed deity. But instead, what we see in this passage, same word used, but describes us, you and me. Carefully crafted by God to represent him here on the earth. And the writer of Genesis wants to make sure we all understand, and I feel like I need to say this this morning as clearly as I can, that that is equally true of both men and women. Both made unique by God, both created with equal dignity before God, both share this place as the crowning achievement or the unique creation of God, both commissioned by God in this text to be his representatives here on earth, neither is inferior or superior to the other. And here's the craziest part. These image bearers in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, Adam and Eve, these people created in God's image, not only are created in the very image of God to reflect his glory, but they know him. And they walk with God and talk with God and have a relationship with God. And this simple origin story of people, all the way in history of Genesis chapter one, the very foundation of the earth, actually helps to explain to us who we are, that we likewise are image bearers created in God's image. I think it gives us three reminders that are important for us in this day and age. The first one is this, that we are creatures, not the creator. In a world that constantly emphasizes what we can create, 
And in a world where we have to justify our very existence by what we can accomplish, create, and do, this is great news. That your foundational identity, the foundation of who you are, isn't what you can craft or create, but it is in that you have been handcrafted by God. Later in Genesis, in chapter 2, verse 7, it says that the Lord, the God, formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living creature. Now, there's a ton to unpack there, but for this morning, let me just point out that when it comes to the creation of people, God is hands-on creating his people. And this is for us a source of very real comfort and strength to remember that we don't have to be justified by what we do or how we recreate ourselves or our image online. But we are precious creatures designed and created by God himself. It's a form of realignment for us. Secondly, not only does it remind us that we are creatures, not the creator, it reminds us that we bear the very image of God. That our worth, dignity, value, and respect is not up for debate. Who you are, while in many ways it's yet to be determined with the course of your life, that foundation is already set for you. At the very heart of who we are, we are men and women created in the very image of God, designed to reflect his glory and beauty to the world around us. The hard part about this point or this reminder is that it also serves to show us how recreating ourselves into other images doesn't work. Uh, It it is like, um, several years ago I made this mistake. I don't know if you made this mistake before. Uh, But I, my weed eater is a two cycle engine, right? Not four cycle. So for some of you guys, small engine mechanics or whatever minded, that means one engine, two cycle, you have to put put gas and oil mixed together in it. Four cycle, you do it separately, right? So I don't know if you've made this mistake before, uh, but putting the wrong gas in the wrong engine, it's a disaster. Uh, And so I had to buy another weed eater because I completely destroyed the engine on my weed eater by being a complete moron and putting the wrong gasoline in it. Now, this is compounded by the fact that I'm actually not very good at yard work. And so when I make a mistake like that, it's like a year and a half before I even get back around to getting a new weed eater. And so our yard looked crazy and our neighbors were mad. It was a whole catastrophe. Likewise, When you and I try to live our lives recreating our own image, we are living in a way separate from the way that we were designed. And all it causes for us is heartache and brokenness and major problems. Hannah Anderson says this, in God's wisdom, our identity as image bearers simultaneously elevates and humbles us. It reminds us our calling is too grand and too glorious to be contained in human categories. But it also confronts our pride by reminding us that we are not God. In this sense, finding our identity as image bearers centers us, putting us in our place in the best possible way. 
that this centering of reminding ourselves that we're image bearers is actually good for us. That we were designed for something much bigger than just where we work or who we sleep with. But it also humbles our pride that we need God. Third, we're created for a community. Did you notice this? Adam and Eve were created together. They live together. They work together. They're given a mission that can only be accomplished together. In our fast-paced culture, curating our lives often leaves little room for other people. In fact, it treats people as a means to an end. You become just a like on my Twitter feed for me, not an actual friend. We treat sharing details of our lives that we would normally share with each other over coffee We treat that as if it is for public consumption and we judge how good our lives are based on how many people like it. It actually, it was intended, I think, to extend community, but do you see how in some ways it destroys our communities? How it prevents us from living real lives with other people. We start to treat each other like a more sophisticated version of a high school lunch table. You remember that moment, first day of school when you were in high school? It's the most important question you had to answer. Where am I going to sit for lunch? Because if you don't get that right, that's going to define the rest of your semester, right? Be like, dang, I'm stuck at this table. I wish I knew where my friends were. Now it's two weeks in and now I can't give up. You know what I mean? If I move to a new lunch table now, I'm going to make these people mad. These people are going to wonder where I've been. People are going to think I'm snooty and trying to move up. or You know what I mean? Like, But we just have a more sophisticated version of that where we treat other people on the basis of what they can provide for us. Whether that's at our jobs or online or in our relationships or even in our marriage. And so we have to remember we were created as creatures in God's image and to function in relationships or in community with each other. These are good reminders Good things for us to remind ourselves of when we are struggling with our identities. And knowing these truths may help us relate to the world and ourselves and others, but it it doesn't ask the big question. The big question is why? Why do we have the need to create our own identities? Why do we feel like we have to prove ourselves to other people? Why do we feel like we're defined by what we do? Why? Augustine says this, he says, Thou, that's God, hast formed us for thyself, and our hearts are restless till they find rest in thee. The restlessness of the human spirit actually goes all the way back to Genesis, Genesis chapter 3. There's an event that happens in Genesis chapter 3 that we often call the fall. It's the fall of man. It's really the story of how this all came unraveled. How our places, image bearers, our understanding of God, our relationship to him, our understanding of who we are was fractured. Genesis chapter 3, the man and the woman, Adam and Eve, choose actively to not trust God, but instead to find their fulfillment somewhere else. It happens like this. God told them, Uh, that they could eat of any tree in the garden, but this one tree. They are deceived, deceived about who God is and deceived about who they are. And they think that this one tree is actually the key to success and happiness and joy in their lives. 
And so instead of rejoicing in the countless trees with the countless fruit, they decide they want the one thing they can't have and they pursue it and eat of this fruit of the tree. Or what they decided in that moment is that being image bearers of God in a relationship with him is not enough for them. They want more. They want to chase after this elusive good, this promise of something that they don't have, but they can obtain on their own. They want to redefine themselves, not as people who are known and loved by God, but as people who find their own way to goodness and happiness and fulfillment. And the result in Genesis chapter three is everything gets broken. They fracture their relationship with God. They mess up their relationships with each other. And this rebellion actually leads to a breakdown in all of creation. And you go, come on, Brandon, that's silly. All that from just eating a piece of fruit? That's kind of ridiculous. Maybe. But is it any sillier than believing that a sexual experience will make me secure in myself? Is it any goofier than believing a new wife will completely, completely change my life? Is it really any different from thinking that a surgical procedure is the key to bringing me fulfillment? That more money will lead to more happiness? Or if I just find the right boyfriend or girlfriend, I'll finally feel like I'm enough. If I make straight A's this semester, then finally my dad will be happy with me? Isn't it all silly? Every way that we try to recreate re ourselves or curate our lives is kind of ridiculous when you think about it. Not very different from eating a fruit of the tree and believing that it's going to bring you ultimate happiness. And that's the much larger point of the story in Genesis chapter 3, that all of us, every human being since Genesis chapter 3, has been trying to recreate ourselves without God. And the Bible has a name for this, it's simply called sin. Rebellion or rejection of God to pursue our own way. And that is passed down generation after generation after generation and affects us all. And one way that it affects us is exactly what we're talking about this morning. We believe a lie. We think that if we could just recreate ourselves, we'll find what we are looking for. If we could just find our true identity. If we could just find our meaning, purpose in life through a job. If we could just chase down our dreams and who we really are. But the truth is we need more than practices to do that. We need more than even healthy practices of remembering that we're creatures and image bearers and created for community. What we need, the Bible teaches, what the rest of the story of the scripture is, is what we need is a savior. I finished up reading the book of Nehemiah this week. I don't know if you've ever read the book of Nehemiah. But here's how it ends. Do you know how this book ends? Nehemiah's been back in Jerusalem. They rebuilt the wall, restored practices, festivals. Now a central part of their religious practices are back on. They put priests in control. He leaves and he comes back and guess what he finds? It's all broken again. And all he's left with is a prayer. God, could you just remember please the good that I did, not this mess that got recreated. That's all he's left with. Why would the book end that way? It's not a very happy ending. Because the point of the book is actually the point of the entirety of Scripture. That a new wall and a new life and new religious practices, 
the new sexual experience, whatever fill in the blank, the new thing is not going to fix what's broken with us because what's broken with us is right at the very heart of who we are. And so what we need are not new practices. What we need is a savior. So that's why through the story of the scripture, we end up meeting Jesus. And Jesus identifies himself as the Messiah or the rescuer who was promised all throughout the story. And Jesus lives this perfect life that you and I were intended to live as an image bearer, perfectly reflecting the very image of God in everything that he does. And then Jesus dies a death on the cross. And the Bible teaches us that that death is a payment for our rebellion, not his rebellion, ours. And then Jesus raises from the dead to raise us to this new life or this new creation. Which is why in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, this is what Paul says. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away and behold, the new has come. All this from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. This is the good news of the Bible. Is that you and I were created actually for redemption, to be recreated, to be remade. And not by our own hands, not by what we post online, but by God himself through his son, Jesus. And I love this text. Just three quick things. That the way that we experience this heart-level recreation, he says, is in Christ. That phrase means uh, that we join ourselves or identify ourselves with Jesus. And guess what Jesus does? Jesus joins or identifies himself with us. And the way that we can be restored as image bearers, reflecting God's glory, is by entering into a relationship with Jesus. Where you say, I'm with that guy, and guess what he says? I'm with that guy, or I'm with that girl. And when we're recreated, we're recreated inside this relationship. He says, you're a new creation. What is that? Fresh start. Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2 again that you and I are remade to be men and women with the capacity to be full image bearers, who we were designed to be. How does he do it? This next phrase, very simple. He reconciles us to God. That's how Jesus does it. The key to being an image bearer is your relationship with God. And through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, you and I can be reconciled or rejoined in a relationship with God, just like the garden. So this message today is for all of us. It's good news for all of us. For some of us today who don't know Christ, perhaps you are worn out, done, finished. You're at the end of your rope. You're so tired and exhausted of a false life online, so tired and exhausted of chasing the next promotion, so tired and exhausted of trying to get your dad or your mom's approval, so tired and exhausted of trying to prove yourself at class uh, this semester at college, high school, middle school. You're just tired of it. The good news of the gospel is you can come to Christ. And your identity can be placed on a firmer foundation than anything that you could create. It could be a new creation in Christ. And the invitation for you today is very simple. You first must confess to God. God, I've created a mess in my life. 
I rebelled against you. I rejected you. I tried to find my identity, my purpose, and my happiness everywhere else but you. And it's been a disaster. And so I need you. And so today, Father, I'm going to believe, identify myself, trust in Jesus and Jesus alone to save me. And the promise of God in the scripture is if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, guess what? We will be saved. That's the promise. And that is open for you today. For some of us, we're believers in Jesus, but we've gotten this all twisted. Man, and we've started to buy the lie and forget. Forget who we actually are. And today, I would encourage you to embrace spiritual practices that we see right here in the text today. Then maybe this next week, just wake up every morning and remind yourself, man, I'm a creature, not creature. I'm a creature, not a creator. If I create anything, I create it because I was crafted in God in his image to be like him. But I belong to him. To remind yourself, man, you're an image bearer, that your value, dignity, and respect comes from God. To see your need for community, to live authentic community with other people. Listen, Chase, our pastor and resident, and I were talking this morning. This is absolutely true. Where we live, suburban Atlanta, is perfectly designed so you never experience real community. Perfectly designed so that you never experience real community. Because you live 45 minutes where you work, from where you work, your kids play soccer 30 minutes away, your best friends live 25 minutes away, Everybody's spread out. Everybody's running. Everybody's busy. Nobody slows down to spend time with other people. And so if you want to live as an image bearer in real community with other image bearers, let me just tell you, it's going to take some work. Nobody here falls into it. You got to choose it. So for believers this morning, I just want to point you to this reality. Maybe this week, that's what you need to ask yourself. Remind yourself of. Man, am I acting like a creature whose identity is from my creator? Am I acting like an image bearer who's reflecting the very glory of Jesus? Am I living with authentic community with others? Thanks for listening to the Mercy Hill Church podcast. To keep up with the life of Mercy Hill Church, follow us on Facebook and Instagram. We believe the Christian life is best experienced in community. If you're in our area, we'd love for you to join us. If not, we'd love to help you get plugged into a local church near you. Have a great week.